Today's reading is from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Be with you, then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The purpose of John's Gospel. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have a life in his name. Thanks be to God. So as I said earlier, we're nearly at the end of John's Gospel, and I hope you've been challenged and encouraged as we've worked through it together. John speaks more about uh, believing and the need to believe than any other uh, of the gospel writers. Matthew, he speaks about it nine times. Mark, he speaks about it 15 times. Luke, 10 times. So what do you think about John? Seeing, seeing that kind of number there, how many times do you think John might speak about the need to believe? 30, 33, 45, you can tell we're higher, right, right? Okay, I'll tell you then, 84. Hmm? So, I mean, there's a huge disparity. For, for John, believing is the most important thing. It's all very well having the story. It's all very well seeing the miracles. It's all very well being involved in it, he says. But actually, the core of it is that it's about belief. You've got to take it, you've got to believe it, and you've got to put it into practice. For John, it's not just a story with a potentially happy ending. It's the story. It's the story that requires faith and acceptance. What and how we believe, I think, is interesting. Fifteen years ago yesterday, Wrexham Association Football Club was... uh, relegated to the National League. For those of you who don't know, in England, that's essentially um, the fifth rung of the tables. 
and, and they don't get any money, they don't get any funding because it's outside the English Football League. Right? And it's been 15 years that they've been trying to get back out. Because when you're in the English League, you get money from the English League. They don't get any money down there. It's the lowest rung of professional football. If 13 years ago, somebody had come to the fans at Wrexham and said, in the future, two Hollywood superstars are going to come and they're going to buy your club and they're going to get you promotion, they would have laughed. In fact, when they actually came and said, we'd like to buy your club, they laughed. And yet... It's one of these feel-good stories because yesterday, 15 years to the day since they were relegated, they won promotion. And to see these two guys who have put their time and their money and their effort into it, you know, high-fiving all the folk round about them and then running onto the pitch to celebrate with the team and the thousands of supporters was good. It's a good story, a positive story. And people believe it now. Because when they came, they were saying, well, are they really in it for the long run? What happens if we don't get promoted for three or four or five years? Because it was costing them about a, about a million a million pounds a year, just over a million pounds a year if they didn't get promotion. A lot of money. What happens? Are they, are they in it for the long term? And yesterday, the evidence was there. A few years before that, on the morning of December the 7th, 1941, there were two airmen who had just taken up their post at a radar lookout station just um, near... Pearl Harbor. And they saw on their radar screens a a huge mass coming from the sea towards the islands. The first airman immediately started by what he saw in the screen. He got out the procedure list and started following the procedures. And he phoned a warning to his superiors. Because he believed what he saw in front of him. That that albeit he couldn't imagine how it was happening, there was a force of enemy planes coming towards Pearl Harbor. He believed that evidence and he acted on it. The second airman was quite skeptical, thinking there was obviously some fault in the system. The officer who took the call at Pearl Harbor dismissed the report, choosing not to believe what he had just been told and abruptly hung up the phone and went about his business. That same morning, a captain uh, patrolling the waters uh, in a ship outside the harbor spotted what he believed to be an enemy submarine. He had been alerted for some time about the possibility of enemy vessels breaching the harbor security and he too followed the established procedure and he sent a warning that he had seen this submarine. This warning was passed to the base commander who decided that they needed more information before they could act. And the rest as they say, is history. Hundreds of lives 
unnecessarily lost because people just didn't believe what they had been told or what they had seen for themselves. They weren't about to be moved into action until they had more evidence. John chapter 20 describes those very same responses to the resurrection of Jesus. One of the most important events in human history. Uh, There are those who believed without seeing. There are those who believed on hearing. There are those who believed on seeing. And there was one who said that they wouldn't believe unless they saw. So first then, the one who believed without seeing, right back at the beginning of the chapter, um, uh, we read that early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, two women found at the tomb uh, of, of Jesus that had been buried in empty, and they ran to tell Peter and John what they had found. So Peter and John then run themselves to the tomb because, well, why would you believe the evidence of the women after all? And so they ran to the tomb to check it for themselves. And one goes in, and the other stands and waits. But when John goes in and sees the cloths lying and sees everything there, he realizes it's not been grave robbers. And we are simply told he saw and believed. That was it. It's as simple as that. He saw the evidence and he believed it. What he had seen was enough for him to declare his belief in the risen Jesus. And there are people today who believe simply because they believe. They see the evidence. They look at the evidence. They've read the Bible. They've read it. And they just say, that's enough for me. That's enough. I don't need... I don't need to make it complicated. That's enough for me. And then there are those people uh, who believe on hearing. Mary stands outside the tomb and she's crying. She doesn't, she doesn't understand. She doesn't know what's going on. And she notices angels seated where Jesus' body had been. And so why are you crying? She says, well, they're taking Jesus away. They're taking his body and I don't know what they've done. I don't know where he is. I don't know what's going on. And then she turns around and here's, here's somebody and she, she thinks it's the gardener. And she goes and says, where have they put Jesus? Where's, where's his body? What's, what's happening here? And she, she talks and she talks and she talks and she's crying. And it's only when Jesus says one word. Mary. And in that one word, she realized who it was. She realized it was Jesus. And she believed. There are people who believe on hearing the good news of the gospel. She had spent so much time with him that that she knew his voice. It was all the proof that she needed. If you have known someone for any amount of time and they phone you, you'll likely know who it is after just a few words, or maybe even only one word. Of course, most of us now have a phone where it tells you who's phoning you. But, you know, apart from that, you would recognize the voice. You know what I mean. The more 
time we spend with somebody, the more quickly we recognize that voice. I don't know about you, but I know that I often struggle to distinguish God's voice from all the other stuff that's going on. I'm too busy, or maybe too stubborn, to be able to distinguish God's voice from all the rest. But Mary knows the voice, and Mary simply believes when she hears her name. And then there were those who believed upon seeing. On the evening of the first day, we're told, uh, the disciples were together and the doors are locked and Jesus appears. Now this, in all of the stories uh, after the resurrection, this is as close as Jesus gets to going, ta-da! I mean, he doesn't actually do that, but he might as well, because all of a sudden he's there with them. And the thing is, in all the other stories, what he does is he takes people where they are. He doesn't just jump out and go, oh, it's me. Because it would be, it would be too much. They would be completely overwhelmed. They're already struggling with all the events that are happening. Luke's gospel records the story of, of the two people who are walking to Emmaus. And what does Jesus do? He comes and he walks with them. And he listens to what they're talking about. And they're talking about all these events, all the things that have gone on. And then he said, you know, and some people are saying that he rose from the dead. What is that about? And Jesus at that point says, oh, how slow you are. And he begins, those of us who love the Old Testament, where does he begin? All they had was the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And he begins there and he says, look, there are 365 prophecies about Messiah. Let's start with number one. And he works through And later, how did he know it's him? He sits down with them. And he takes bread and he breaks it. And he is revealed to them in that moment. It's not big. It's not flashy. Because that's not what they need. He comes to them in a way that they need and that they understand in that moment. And so here are these disciples and they can cope with it because they are together. And he comes and he stands among them and he says, the first thing they need to hear, peace be with you. Peace be with you. And they believed because they had seen him with their own eyes. And we do call Thomas Doubting Thomas but he's not really any different to them. They didn't believe up until that point. And when Thomas sees Jesus, he doesn't need to put his hands anywhere because he sees Jesus with his own eyes and he believes it's straightforward, it's simple. He's no different to the others, but he gets a bad rap. So some believe without seeing, others believe upon hearing, and some believe because they have seen with their own eyes. And there's Thomas, the one who said at least that he wouldn't believe until he saw and until he touched Jesus. We don't know why he wasn't there. It's one of those things that would be quite nice to know, do you know? But we don't know. It doesn't tell us. 
And he's not about to believe it until he's seen it for himself. And as Caitlin said, it's good to know that Jesus doubles back to get him. To be with him, to support him in his faith. To give Thomas what he needs, because Thomas needed to see for himself. And when he sees, gone is all the bravado of, I'm going to touch him, I'm going to, you know, it's all gone. And he simply falls and he says, my Lord and my God. He actually expresses more faith than all of the others. Because he recognizes that Jesus is God. The truth is, it doesn't make any difference to Jesus which of these four reactions we have. Because what they're saying is that that we have Jesus in the way that best suits us. He will come to us and reveal himself in a way that is appropriate for where we are and who we are. He cares that much about those who are still to believe that he goes that extra mile to meet people at their point of need. And the point, though, is not how you get there, but that you do get there. To that point where with Thomas we are able to say, my Lord and my God. Far too many of us get lost in debating the facts of the resurrection that they missed the impact of this story. When we're doing the Alpha course, we find that, that, that there are folk who, who need to know absolutely everything. They need to know every, every little nuance of the story and how that might work and how this might work and what you hear. And actually, there comes a point where you just have to believe. <laughs> you know, that, that's why we talk about the Christian faith. There are facts. There are reasons for faith that are good, positive reasons for faith. But we don't have all of the answers. And until we get to heaven, we'll never have all the answers. And once we get there, we probably won't need them anyway. John concludes his, this section of his story, reminding his readers, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Following Thomas' statement of belief, Jesus says, because you've seen me, you've believed. But blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. If you are here this morning, if you're watching us online and you are a believer, that is you that he's talking about. Blessed are you because you have believed without having seen Jesus in the flesh. There's a story that Mensa, I don't know if any of you are members of Mensa, you need an IQ of uh, at least 140, allegedly, to, uh, to be a member, and they gathered for a convention in San Francisco. Some of them went for lunch, as you do at these things, sitting at lunch, and they discovered a huge problem. The salt shaker 
was full of pepper, and the pepper shaker was full of salt. But being highly intellectual people, they decided they would work out how they could transfer the contents of each using only the utensils they had in front of them. No problem. Great. So they, they, they didn't want to spill any, of course. So they, they worked it. And they discovered that with only a saucer, a napkin, and a straw, they could achieve their aim of swapping the contents of the containers. Fantastic. So, in trying to impress the waitress and show how intelligent they were, they called her over and said, ma'am, we couldn't help but notice that the pepper shaker contains salt and the salt shaker, and she says, oh, I'm really sorry about that, don't worry about that, and she unscrewed the caps and swapped them over. <laughs> don't complicate it. It's straightforward. Either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. There's no other option. No other option. If he didn't, then you know, we're all wasting our time. But if he did, what are you waiting for in order to believe? If he did, his offer is life in all its fullness for those who believe. John says it's a simple and straightforward truth. Jesus was dead, and now he is alive. And he goes on to say later that that same power that raised Christ from the dead is available to us, his children, even today. If it's hard to get your mind around it, then ask Jesus to reveal himself to you in the way that is most appropriate for you. He's done it lots of times before. He wants us to experience life through faith. Blessed are those who believe without seeing. But surely... Blessed are those who believe no matter how they arrive at faith. Let's pray together. Father, we have gathered here together this morning because we believe that this is not just a story from history, but this is a story for all time. We believe that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead. And in doing that, he opened a way for us to have that life that he promised. Life with you, not just when we die, but now, today. And so, Father, for those who are here today or who are watching online today, who don't yet believe, will you reveal yourself to them in the way that is most appropriate for them? 
in a way that draws them to you so they get to that point of saying, yes, Lord, I believe. And Father, for those of us who do believe, we pray that you would help us. That you would help us in those times when we struggle, because we do struggle. We do have questions. We do have doubts sometimes. In those moments, will you come beside us as you came beside the two on the road to Emmaus? And even if you have to say how slow you are to believe, Father, we we trust that you will be there walking with us. You revealed what had to happen to them. And your word is still available to us today that reveals why it had to happen. Father, we thank you that when you call us to believe, you don't just leave us there. That's not the end of the story. It's only the beginning of the story, the beginning of the journey with you. Father, we thank you that your promise, even today, is life in all its fullness. Amen.